Texas Warbird Report. I'm your host, Zane Adams. We're glad to be back with you here on Warbird Radio. Uh, we've been on a bit of a hiatus for the last couple of years, but we're back and ready to bring you stories from across the great state of Texas. Stories of history, warbird operators, pilots, restorers, maintainers, and all those involved with the job of keeping the history alive. We're going to welcome Kelly Mahon from the Mid-America Flight Museum in Mount Pleasant, Texas. Uh, those guys over there with Scott Glover and gang, uh, have been real friends to Warbird Radio over the years and, uh, uh, actually gotten a couple of rides out of them and, uh, which is super appreciated. Even, uh, your buddy Andrew got, uh, took my wife up in the Stearman and treated her nice, didn't throw her upside down or anything as requested. So, uh, but yeah, Kelly, thanks for coming on. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Oh, good. Good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the Mid-American, uh, Flight Museum and, uh, talk about your mission, talk about some of the, the goodies you guys have. I know we've, I haven't talked to, I talked to Scott a couple of years ago when Warbird Radio was, uh, before our reboot here. And, uh, you know, uh, so I, I know about what you guys do, but, uh, tell our audience a little bit about you guys. No, I'll be glad to do that. Um. Scott is a, a really great guy that loves keeping all this history alive for people, and uh, he really wants to honor the veterans. It's huge about mentoring the youth and just keeping all this history alive. And that keeping it alive is a full-time job for many of us that are at the museum. But his focus, uh, you know, like you say, we haven't been together for a couple of years now. His focus has been so much on... World War II, and with our DC-3 being a glider tug as well, um, you know, we supported the um, World War II Glider Pilots Association and hosted them, and as we've moved on past that, um, you know, we've purchased a few aircraft. I think everybody knows we got the Sea Fury last year and uh, some other big purchases, but our focus has started leaning towards vietnam and yeah, so those guys are those guys are getting old <laughs> well yeah. and, and su- surprisingly active too sure so we had been looking for a huey for quite a while and many hueys come up for sale but to find one that had easily documented history was important to us and so we we found a a huey that had 2,000 hours of time in country. It is a true Vietnam veteran, still has some patches in the floorboards. And it was so funny uh, when we bought it, the guy who was finishing the rebuild on it, he informed us that it came with David Riley. And we didn't necessarily know what that meant, but come to find out when the Army gets a helicopter, it is issued a crew chief. Pilots come and go, gunners come and go, 
the crew chief stays with the helicopter. And David Riley is our crew chief. Okay. And he was with that helicopter um, its entire service time in Vietnam. And his unit is still alive and well and thriving, and they have an annual reunion that we've started supporting with the Huey. Yeah, I noticed noticed that uh, last year, I guess, I noticed this stuff on Facebook uh, where you guys had had, you know, a bunch of rowdy Vietnam vets at the at the museum. And it was pretty looked pretty amazing. Well, and and we survived. So I think we're going to do it again. but it's really great to hear these stories where you have pilots and gunners and pilots and crew chiefs flying in the same helicopter 50 years later. And there are some of these pilots that haven't flown a Huey or any helicopter since Vietnam. And the muscle memory is there. It's 30 seconds of hang on and then, the rest of the time is they fly better than we do. Yeah, that's cool. And it, it's been great to share that. So that's led to some other purchases. Um, not too long after the Huey, uh, we ended up purchasing a Cobra. And, uh, you know, I think there's only five Cobras in civilian hands, so that's a real treat. Sure. And and in the helicopter world, it, it's the P-51 of the helicopter world. I yeah. mean, it, it's truly a dream to have something with it. And uh, if you have a, a Cobra, you have to have a loach. So yeah. um, we also have the the little bird, and now we have our hunter-killer team. So, there you go. So it's really great to have these uh, helicopters together. And uh, we've taken them to several events and done several flyovers. And it's really fantastic to see how we um, get to really change their lives so many vietnam veterans just haven't recovered as well sure and some of them get huge recovery 50 years later by a 15 minute helicopter ride yeah it's pretty impressive to see yeah and and years ago back back in the 90s uh i was with a group uh, texas air command museum over in arlington and they had a huey that they got out of Fort, Fort Rucker and we started flying it around air shows. And I, we went to an air show in, in Beaumont and a guy came up and walked up to the Huey and was just kind of touching it, just kind of looking. And I started talking to him and he sat down on the deck and just started crying mm-hmm. and just broke down. And, you know, I've just kind of sat with him for a little bit. And he said the last time I was this close to one of these. It saved my ass and brought me out of the jungle. And I'm here today because of one of these. And it was a powerful experience, you know, uh, just as powerful as, as I've seen with some World War II vets and some Korean vets and that kind of thing. And, uh, and maybe more so because, like you said, they haven't, a lot of them had fully healed from the experience. Yeah. My, my, uh, father-in-law was a Huey crew chief and did multiple tours in um, Vietnam. And he was as successful as anybody when he came back to normal life. But, you know, um, he and I had a real strong bond because uh, I was a Huey crew chief in the army as well. Uh And, 
And so we got to talk about things that his daughter, my ex-wife, had never heard about before. And I saw a photo album she had never seen before. And so it, it's amazing how things get bottled up and when the actual healing occurs. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's great to be part of those stories. Oh. Um, and, you know, you and I are going to be all excited about talking about the, the airplanes and helicopters and people, but I'm also really proud that in our museum we have created our own Vietnam Memorial, and it has 58,000 names laser-etched. And I just don't know of another small museum like us that has done that. And with it tying into the helicopters, it's been so much fun to watch the veterans find their buddies' names and tell their stories. And uh, one of our, our prime guys and Huey helicopter pilot, Gary Gingrich, he's one of those. He can walk down that thing today and tell you a story that he hasn't told you before. There are so many stories on that wall waiting to be told. And I have high school tours come through and when the kids find their last name and then they start telling stories about what they've heard from their parents to see high school kids engage with it is really fantastic. Uh, And I'm so proud that Scott made that a priority. Yeah. That that's a powerful thing. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing tool. Uh, I know that when the Vietnam wall, and you're old enough to know when that first came out, there was a lot of people who mm-hmm. didn't like the idea, but it has become a magnet for that kind of, uh, that kind of healing, I think, uh, because it, it, of the personal, the personalness, the, uh, if that's a good word of yeah. the, of the, with the names on there. Yeah. It's a, it is a powerful thing. Well, one of our, bigger volunteers at the museum lane minor i'm sure that you've met him oh yeah he's one of our photographers well when we put this all together uh, scott asked him to write up a page that would go next to the names and so it has a map and a write-up and you know let's say the write-up seven or eight paragraphs long um, Wayne is a fantastic writer yeah, but he is. when i first saw it it's one page long and the first thing I said was 90% of the people that walk through here can read that one page and learn something they didn't know about Vietnam. Yeah. It is, it is not a story that we know. And it, it, like I say, I'm, I'm so proud that our team has put so much effort into bringing it to life. Yeah. That's very cool. When I started seeing that on Facebook, I, I figured that's what you guys were up to knowing Scott and knowing, uh, how he has, uh, well, just the way he did with Sky King and, mm-hmm. uh, the glider pilots. Cause I was over there for one of the glider pilot reunions and, uh, those old guys were amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Scott with a bigger smile on his face, uh, working hard for those guys. So I can imagine the Vietnam era dudes, uh, you know, uh, being on his radar. And uh, I mean, you guys have got some other things. You got uh, you got a bird dog and a, an O2, and yep. uh, my my neighbor next door, he flew bird dogs in Vietnam. He got a Purple Heart yep. in one, and uh, I never could get him to talk to me about it much. But uh, and he's since passed on. You know, uh, but uh, that's, uh, I like that. I like I like this uh, yeah. idea. <laughs> well, and, and we just had a, a ranger crew come through, 
And the big deal for them is one of their dads was a bird dog pilot. And so we got the bird dog out and shared it with him. And it was no different than watching the guys in the Huey. I mean, number one, I think he lost about 30 years and was such a young person having such a good time in the bird dog. And, um, and I let him fly it for quite a little bit. And it's great to see the years disappear. Yeah. So you're right. We do have some other airplanes. Our O2 actually lives at our facility in Ohio. So when you see it down here supporting an event, I mean, that's how much we're willing to support the event. We bring it down from Ohio. Yeah, there you Um, go. There you go. I know the last time I was over there, y'all had a O2 uh, semi-carcass in the hangar. So I guess that's probably the same bird. No, we still have that carcass and it's up at our Ohio facility. I was just working on dealing with an engine overhaul issue today. Okay. So we're still making progress on that, but that facility is recovering all the flight controls for the B-17. And so we've got a lot of projects going. Um, well, I do want to mention the Lodestar because yeah. we just got a lot of attention with it at Oshkosh and brought home an award. But, um, you know, with all this helicopter activity, people always ask about Scott and airplanes and, I said, oh, he still loves airplanes, and everybody says, what's his favorite? Well, it's always been easy to mention the B-25. Yeah. Well, the reason that the B-25 is Scott's favorite fixed-wing airplane is because the Lodestar hasn't been flyable. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Yep, it has had some structural issues in the the wing, and... uh, uh, it was all part of the fuel tank area and common place for corrosion and load stars and Howard two fifties are plagued with corrosion. And this airplane is really clean, but with the temperature changes and moisture and all that, the fuel tanks get attacked and we really didn't have a plan for how to attack it because it sure seemed like a $300,000 repair on a $300,000 airplane. Yeah. And we have been um, struggling because the the airplane was destined to be scrapped. We didn't have a solution. And at the antique airplane fly-in at Gainesville last October, a very nice young man came up to me and said, Kelly, you know, we've moved closer to you and, if you have any projects uh, that you'd like for us to come in and help on, we would love to be part of it. Uh-oh. And, well, <laughs> at that time, I, I didn't really know what that could be, but I heard him, and I like him. And he came in, and he and his wife together saved the Lodestar. Yeah, cool. I will tell you that that couple saved the Lodestar and started the push for We've got to get it to Oshkosh. Well, well I and, hope Andrew put their name on the trophy somewhere. <laughs> well, I, I'm hoping, but the reason I'm kind of quiet about their name is it doesn't get to be a bigger name for Warbird Radio than Birchinol. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> and it's yeah. Junior Birchinol's son, Ike. Okay. And Ike is an absolute master with sheet metal. And there were some really crazy corrugated pieces that needed to be made that there just aren't any parts available. And 
to master level quality, he made those parts and saved that airplane. So I guess and it was probably typical Lockheed fashion of being really fancy and yeah. <laughs> it it really was, and a lot of stuff uh, that didn't make a lot of sense. And uh, it's so funny because his wife Allison, um, she is a nurse by training. But as a teenager, she worked in Junior's office as well, and she will tell you story after story about how Junior cared for her and made sure that she got down the right path and made sure she had a sandwich when she didn't know how to have one. And so this nurse, with all this great training, she sat down with the repair manual for the Lodestar and pretty much memorized it. So where I could hear Ike asking her questions by yelling across the hangar, and she was spouting them off from memory. <laughs> she, they, they have really taken this on as a love affair, and it, it doesn't surprise anybody then when you tell them the name that's yeah. behind it all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like she was just taking another anatomy class so <laughs> it, it, it really is and so she works for us full-time and you know um she's just one of those most valuable players for us i mean how can we survive without her now that we've gotten used to having her around yeah yeah well that's very cool that's a great story yep yeah well and yeah. ike and allison rode in the lodestar to oshkosh and it was their first oshkosh ever Oh, really? Uh, okay, so yep. mind-blown and a good trip, yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so, yeah, we've just got some great people that have really come along. Uh, a guy that showed up just to waste time one day as his daughter was taking testing turned into a volunteer that turned into a paid employee, and he's the one that led the polishing effort on the Lodestar, and he had been polishing on that thing almost three months. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, yeah, there's over 600 man hours in just the polishing of the airplane. Yeah. And Ike and Allison worked on it for well over six months. And so these were not small tasks. And at the same time, we're keeping all the other stuff airworthy and going. And so things at the museum have really been positive and exciting for that's, for this that's, last year. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. I, I wouldn't expect anything less of you guys over there. So, uh <laughs> Yeah. Well, very cool. And and you mentioned in passing the B-17. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I know there's probably not much news from what I understand, uh, waiting on parts or pieces or the restoration of a big airplane like that uh, takes uh, an enormous amount of time. So, Yeah, well, I, I will tell you that we're really excited about having it. And, uh, you know, we ferried it home and did a lot of maintenance on it and came together with a, a great group up in Oregon, you know, the, the Erickson crew yeah. knows B-17s as well as anybody. And Jim Martinelli up there has uh, jumped in the middle of helping us with this big project. And uh, it, it's just such an amazing airplane. Um, my first time flying a B-17 was in ferrying it to Oregon, and it, it it's one of those amazing experiences I'll never forget. Uh, it's and just a big Piper I, Cub, right? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to deny that one bit. Uh, there were lots of things that surprised me about the airplane, but how easy it was to fly uh, was a real surprise. Yeah. Um, 
you know, there's a couple of times in the approach that you're just setting power settings and you're managing your drag and descent rate with flaps and so on and so forth. But it, it's a really gentle airplane that's super stable and it, it's going to be a fun airplane to share. So we're, we're really excited about getting it back together. But, you know, th- there's no timeline on it yet because yeah. we're, we're still waiting on some parts. But sure. uh, the the exciting part for us is the new AD that's out will not affect our airplane at all because uh, we have new terminal ends for the spars. And so um, the way it's written, we're clean on that. That's so, great. Uh, yeah, so there is good news there. And uh, I just picked up, well, I sent Connor, uh, and he went and picked up a an engine that was freshly overhauled. So that's our first spare, and we have another spare going in for overhaul. So... We're, we're hoping to keep that airplane up and flying for a long time. Right. Cool. That's Well, they need to be flying. I mean, the B-17 is one of my favorite airplanes is from a kid on, you know. And yep. uh, uh, like I had told you before, you know, I crewed with uh, Chucky over in Fort Worth for some a few years in the 80s and and really fell in love with it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's they're, they're amazing machines and tremendous history and, you know, my, my uncle was a B-24 pilot, and, you know, he didn't agree with my fascination, but, you know, that's how that is. <laughs> well, that's okay. He can be wrong. <laughs> yeah. we, we all know we all know the B-17 is the glorious one. So yeah. when you talk about Chucky, my first job ever was working for Air Carrier Electronics at Meacham Field, and one summer we, we had Chucky nosed up to the door, and uh, we were running all kinds of stuff. We we kept track of how many spools of wire. And you know when you when you have an airplane that size and you're running a bunch of stuff, you're not surprised when you use a mile yeah. of eighteen yeah. gauge or whatever. And uh, but it was summertime and it was so hot that we set this plan of we would show up to start working on the airplane at four a.m. Yeah. and we'd be done by noon. Yeah. And <laughs> So I, I would swing myself up into that uh, nose door, just like we watch on Memphis Bell, and go to the back, and I would hand crank the Bombay doors open every morning yeah, so yeah. that we could get the airflow going. And so I, I've got a lot of history with that airplane, too. Pretty exciting. Well, that's pretty funny uh, because I helped a guy in the 80, 86, 87. Me and a guy, it was an Air Force electronics, air airframe electronic guy, Mm-hmm. And I remember we worked on wiring harnesses to the little uh, junction boxes there in the Bombay. Mm-hmm. I remember we worked on that, and I may have been we may have crossed paths there, Kelly, because I know well, there was we what, spent a few days over there, uh, you know, a few Saturdays uh, working on it uh, at that electronic shop. So, you know, yeah, small I world. I was trying to think. I was probably. 14 that summer so that would have been 80 85 okay or eight no i guess it would have been 86 because i would have turned uh 14 at the end of that summer so 86 yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah small world (laughs) Mm -hmm. no exactly no when you were talking about it it's like i I think we were working on the same airplane at the same time yeah 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 i know we we went over to that to that hangar and 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 you know i learned how to tie the little you know the little uh uh uh, 
dental floss kind of stuff around the yep, yep. the wiring bundles and you know to how to tie those knots and stuff that and uh you know i remember doing quite a bit of that for a while you know mm-hmm. just as a flunky helper you know but uh well that's cool it was very cool but so uh, I know we've been talking Warbirds, and this is Warbird Radio, uh, but uh, you guys have got some really cool uh, vintage airplanes over at Mid-America. Yes. Um, so since we've talked, um, you know, we finished our Traveler 6000 restoration that was done up in Ohio, and that was, you know, 30,000 man hours over three and a half years, and as many as... I think they were approaching 60 different volunteers. And um, so that was a pretty magical thing. But what happens here at the museum is so much different than other places. You know, the guy leading the show up there in Ohio, his name is Doug Smith. And it is purely accidental that we met and all this stuff came together. But when we test flew the airplane, um, I was lucky enough to get to test fly it. And we did one fairly good extensive test flight. And on that test flight, we took some air to air photos to commemorate the event. And on flight number two, Doug, who is a pilot, uh, went on that flight with me on flight number two. And so making sure that everybody that's a part of this, gets to share in the rewards as well. And uh, it flew for the first time just a couple of weeks before Oshkosh, maybe even 10 days before Oshkosh. So it was all about keeping the airplane clean and working on all the things for judging. And it was a really, that was 2021. And because of COVID, what we ended up with was we had to compete against twice as many completions for awards because everybody had extra time. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And so those that would have been competing in 2020 had to wait and compete in 2021. So it was tough competition. And so it was a big deal to, to get that airplane to award status and there and back safely. But after Oshkosh, where it won Grand Champion in Vintage, it went back to Ohio for a few little details to be fixed. And then before it ever came back to Texas, we took our whole crew to Ohio, and we were hopping rides to everybody who had worked on the airplane, in-house, out-of-house, machinists. You know, everybody got a ride in the airplane before we brought it home. Very cool. And. It's that kind of stuff that really talks about who Scott is and what he focuses on. Yeah. And it's always about the people, and we just use the airplane as tools. Yeah, yeah, that's very clear. I mean, you guys, and a lot of people don't know, uh, I I think you're still doing it if I'm out of of hand, tell me, but uh, you guys offer airplane rides at the airport when the museum's open uh, every weekend, right? Y'all are still doing that? Well. It, it isn't every weekend. Okay. Uh, it's when, whenever, like the last couple of weekends, we've been gone. And so we've got a great group of volunteers that take care of everybody. As you know, we're just open on Saturdays from 8 to noon. Right. And those early hours are because of Texas heat. But 
Um, we have a new standard biplane and the Huey, and so we we do share the airplanes and helicopters with people, yeah. and uh, but not as much as we we had in the past. Okay. It got a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, one other airplane that I like to talk about because. You're right. We do have some great vintage stuff, but we added a Lockheed Vega. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, I need to come over and uh, see that. <laughs> well, it's really special. You know, there's only six airframes left. Right. And um, there, there's two at the Smithsonian. There's one at the Henry Ford Museum. Kermit Weeks and uh, Kevin Kimball are rebuilding his. And then Walt Bow has his out in uh, California, and then ours. So Walt's and ours are the only flyable ones right now. And it was so funny. When we bought it, it was in the CAF hangar in uh, Phoenix. And uh, silly me, I thought we had bought an airplane. (laughs) Well, come to find out. In their minds, it was barely an airplane. So I had a young lady go with me to bring it home, and they were really concerned about hauling passengers because they just hadn't. And our Vega was um, crashed in Alaska on skis in 1959 and had been rescued by the president of the Antique Airplane Association, Bob Taylor, And over the next 10 years, he restored it to flying condition. Well, between Bob getting it flying in 1969 and us picking it up in Phoenix, only one person had ever had a ride in it. Oh, wow. So that's how special it is. And so uh, over the past 50 years, I just like 50 years because it's a nice number, there's only really been three airplanes Maybe four. The airplane in the Henry Ford Museum was just coming in on the tail end of its activity. But there were so few airplanes flying that people like Brent Taylor, Bob's son, that's now the president of the Antique Airplane Association, he keeps track of their activity because of how close he got to that one. Sure. Well, I'm flying at home, and he texts me. He says, you be sure to tell Katie that she's the second person to fly in that air, ride in that airplane since 1959. And he's telling me I'm the sixth pilot to fly it since 1959. Wow. And we landed in the dark and he texts me, that's the second landing in the dark since 1959. <laughs> and and you're, you're starting to call him crazy, but then he touts off the date. Oh yeah, October 13th, 1982. It was uh, Dave Dacey and it was in Oklahoma City. I mean, this is how these things are tracked. Sure. So we really figure that over the past 50 years, there might be as few as 50 people that have had a ride in a Vega. Yeah. And so we've only owned the airplane two years and we've already given 64 people a ride in the airplane. (laughs) Ah, Cool. Well, so the Antique Airplane Association is in Blakesburg, Iowa, and they have their annual fly-in. So it was my goal to take the airplane back to Blakesburg so that I could share it with all the family members of Bob's that never got a chance to ride in the airplane. And because the airplane is a little bit of a 
wandering handful on the ground, and Blakesburg isn't that nice of a runway, my plan was just to haul the family members. Well, once I got there, it was doing so well that I just started giving rides. And before the the weekend was over, I had given 43 people a ride in the Vega over that weekend. (laughs) So so you doubled it in a weekend. Yeah, I see. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the, the crazy part is we were all laughing because I was just pulling up into the pit where everybody's standing waiting for a ride. And there was a Stinson SR5, a Staggerwing, a Luscom, a Swift, and a Vega yeah. that were pulling in giving rides. Who, who would ever guess that? And so one girl got her first airplane ride ever cool. in the Vega. Oh, that's very nice. So, yeah, and the last person that I hauled just happened to be a docent at the Smithsonian who stands in front of the Vegas every day talking to passerby, <laughs> and he now has firsthand knowledge to pass on to people there when they go. come to the Smithsonian. These stories you just can't make up. Sure. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. when you talk about you and I working on Chucky, possibly together at the same time in 86, well, you need to know that in 1981, as a 10-year-old kid, I played in that Vega at that same airport in Iowa. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, so it's really great to see how all these things come back around. Oh, very and, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, you know, between our duck and the Ford Trimotor being Pearl Harbor survivors, yeah, and then our Traveler 6000, and the Ford Trimotor both having been at Johnson Flying Service together in the 50s, we have so many special things to walk through and see. Um, we can actually go on and on and on about all the special details that we have to share. Oh, I can imagine. And, and, and now you're the greatest Trimotor collection on Earth. <laughs> yeah, we, we have four, four different Trimotors. Yeah, yeah. But it's really... What's really funny is two of them are made by Stinson. Right. But if you take them to a show, nobody knows how to say trimotor without saying the word Ford. Yeah. So <laughs> you will hear it shows all the time. This is a Stinson Ford trimotor? Yeah, Stinson Ford. <laughs> no. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, uh... it, it really is funny um, to see how all these different things happen when you get out in the public's eye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you, you, you created quite a stir when you brought this, the, the, uh, the high wing Stinson over to Ranger a couple of years ago. And, yes. Uh, yeah. and, and so the high wing and the low wing are painted identical. Right. So this is almost as good as the Stinson Ford trimotor. Yeah. <laughs> I have people argue with me all the time that they saw this airplane here when really it was the other airplane, but because they're painted in the same color and they have three engines, yeah. they seriously can't tell the difference between a fixed gear high wing airplane and a retractable gear low wing yeah. airplane. Well, I know and, I saw the Stinson, the low wing in Alaska mm-hmm. at the museum up uh-huh. there, uh, yep. in 95. And yep. I had no idea such an airplane existed. And, uh, well, 
Of course, that's a really cool little museum up there. I mean, they've, they've got that yep. Pilgrim, which is like one of a kind, and then the, they mm-hmm. had the Low Wing, and I mean, there's just, uh, and of course, sitting on the ramp and watching ducks and widgeons and otters and everything on the lake there is tremendous. But uh, yeah, I saw that Low Wing one up there, and uh, it blew my mind because I didn't die. Well, what? Yeah. <laughs> There, there's another small world deal. I was working on Lake Hood in Anchorage, where that museum is, and I knew the Stinson Trimotor from there as well. And Brent Taylor, the president of uh, the Antique Airplane Association, was there prepping that airplane for its ferry flight home when Greg Herrick bought it. Yeah. So once again, we all get tied into the same places. <laughs> I mean, when, when yeah. you do this stuff every day like you and I do, uh, we end up in the same places. Yeah, that's um, funny. But that airplane was built in '36, and by 1942, it was already the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the story about the Stinson trimotor can take you know several hours to tell, sitting sure. in front of it. It it's a really special airplane as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And you guys have had the some of the crew that pull that thing out of the weeds in Alaska, uh, come to your museum as well, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, Scott, Scott can be a tough one to get birthday presents for. And so he was really kind to me and told me what he wanted. There is a book written about how they got it from the tundra back to town when the guy rescued it. And it was an eight year journey. And the guy wrote a book it's poorly written, and it's about 100 pages long. And Scott goes, Kelly, I'd like for you to get me a copy of that book. It's going to be tough. It can be Xerox. I don't care. Whatever you can get. Well, once again, this was COVID year. And uh, there, there are three copies that we could find. And one was in a museum in Fairbanks. One was in a library in Fairbanks. And the third one was in the Library of Congress. So I had a friend that lived in Maryland, and she was going to get a hold of the one in the Library of Congress. It ended up being checked out by a congressman and in a a separate reading room, and COVID and all of the stuff that we had to do. Anyway, we'd been looking for this book for eight months, and we're now down to the last three weeks. And it was so bad that the library in Fairbanks would not copy it for us. But if we had somebody show up, they would not stop them from using their Xerox machine to copy it. So <laughs> my my mother was 75 years old at the time, and she was ready. She was buying herself a round-trip ticket. She was going up on Tuesday and coming back on Thursday and Scott's birthday was Saturday. <laughs> and and so this is all coming together when my good friend Greta out of Maryland found one of the original 15 firefighters that were put on that airplane in the middle of the tundra to protect it from a forest fire. Yeah. And when talking to him, the guy who had authored the book had given him a copy and so he made us multiple copies. And when I started talking to him, it was all about you have to come here and make the presentation to Scott on his birthday. <laughs> and and so he was here, and he got to go for a ride in the airplane with us. 
And then we set him down in front of the airplane and we recorded his interview and story about the, the whole ordeal. And it, it's, it's incredibly compelling. So yeah, just, just another of the many facets as you walk through. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, it, Scott Scott knows how to pull them together over there. That's for sure. And uh, it, yep, he sure does. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't miss out on an opportunity. No. Nope. And just once again, when I talk about the Traveler Six Thousand, um, we we talk about you open the door in typical nineteen twenty nine. You look in, and everybody says, "Ooh, wicker." Yeah. And <laughs> we get to now explain to them it's not wicker. It's a process called wrath, which is paper wrapped around wire and then varnished. Mm. And it looks like wicker, but it's way more sturdy. Yeah. And when, when we were rebuilding this, how do you find somebody who can redo wrath? Well, up there in Ohio, within about 40 miles, there was a lady who did it. And she came and looked at it, and she committed to doing the project, but she would promise only one seat per month. Yeah. And you can do the counting really quick. There's seven months worth of work. Yeah. And I, I just love stories like that. Um, the, the struts and landing gear are all balsa. And the story about where that balsa came from for us to rebuild those struts is a young man who had been going to Oshkosh since he was born in 1975. His dad took the whole family every year, and they were big into model airplanes, and you can't get that large balsa. But after he passed, there was, you know, four-by-four-by-four boxes of large balsa like that. Wow. It was him volunteering for this program, and we found Jim, his name's Jim Buxton, and I mean, his whole family has started volunteering up there. But Jim Buxton, we got because of your friend Dan Lynn. He and Jim went to EAA, you know, the summer camp when they were teenagers, yeah. young teenagers. Yeah, yeah. And so all of these relationships come back around. And well, uh, My friend Dan Lynn. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, Everybody's friend or, Dan yeah, Lynn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys yeah. are high school buddies, right? So, yeah. Well, so there again, <laughs> Jim Buxton and I, we have this fight going on about who's known Dan the longest. And I just can't believe anybody could know Dan longer than me. <laughs> and I think Jim has got me beat by three weeks or a month. Well, I, I know this. He's got me beat. I just don't know how much. Yeah, that's funny. Well, Dan's a great guy. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Dan, Dan's been out there chasing warbirds since he was uh, a young teenager or earlier, and yeah. now his son Brennan is out there. Yeah, and uh, Brennan's one of my biggest fans, and I wish it was about me, but I'm pretty sure it's about the duck. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Brennan's Brennan's a Brennan's quite a character. I like that kid. Yeah, oh, I do. He's yeah. a nice guy too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Just yeah. just another one that fits in. Right. So, so here I'm going to give you a chance, and, and if you want to or not, but you're going to toot your own horn a little because uh, your backstory. Because I mean, you just didn't appear in the aviation business. Uh, you know, I heard something that you had some. You you mentioned flying being the test pilot on the Travel Air, and that's not mm-hmm. your first test pilot gig, is it? <laughs> no, I I've got a little bit of that experience, but uh, 
thanks to my mom and dad, I, I grew up thinking that aviation was all that you needed to do. And so I, I've chased that um, my whole life, uh, um, just from airplanes and warbirds. And you, you'll know this name, but Fox 51 and Frank Strickler yeah. at, uh, at the Denton Airport. You know, Frank, Frank was the original signature on my A&P ticket. Yeah, and cool. it's so neat that the airworthiness certificates in the Duck and the Corsair both have Frank's name on them as well. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, ran off to Alaska and back to Idaho and ended up getting getting involved with a, a new airplane design up there uh, with Tom Hamilton that is known from the Glass Air line of airplanes and now Aeroset floats. But I was employee number 12 or so. Uh, for the Kodiak that at the time was Quest Aircraft yeah. up in North Idaho. And, uh, yeah, got heavily involved with flying the prototype and all the certification test flying and early demos. And so got a little bit of that history in yeah, my background. Yeah. I, I think I've run across a, a YouTube video of you demoing the Kodiak for some for Flying Magazine or something like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I yeah. think one of our earliest ones was Alton Marsh with AOPA, and uh, yeah, I got to be on the cover of Flying Magazine twice, and the first one was really special to me. I, I was on the cover of Flying Magazine, boy, I think it was two months prior to losing my dad, yeah. and so my dad got to see that, and the, the story that's funny there is my mom stopped at the DFW airport on her way home from work one day to stop at the newsstand. And she walked in there and she picked up five of the flying magazines and put on the counter. And the little cashier girl was so sweet as she goes, excuse me, ma'am. Did you know that these were all the same? It's <laughs> <laughs> a proud mama. Of course they're the same. Yep. Yeah. yep. It, it was a proud mama moment. So <laughs> that, that, that was really good. But, uh, I've, I've always made decisions in my life about staying at the airport. So yeah. I'm at the airport every day. Well, there you go. There could be worse things. So e exactly. Uh, yeah. I know aviation is difficult uh, at times and has been here recently. Uh, but, uh, it's, uh, it's terribly rewarding to be around and I'm just a hanger honor. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a non-practicing private pilot and you know how that goes, but, uh, you know, I'm, Lucky enough to Matt uh, gets me into this Warbird Radio stuff, and I get to meet a lot of great people and have some good times. So uh, aviation uh, really brings out the great people for sure. Well, we're all peers, no matter what our level is. You just have to know how to drink coffee and tell a good story. There you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah. We're all the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate you coming on uh, and. Uh, being our first uh, guest on our Warbird Radio, Texas Warbird Report to reboot. And uh, when it cools off, I'm definitely going to have to come out to Mount Pleasant and hang out with you guys a little bit more. I try not to do it on these 104-degree days like today, but uh, for sure. And uh, uh, I've got to come over and see. I haven't seen the... I haven't seen the... Uh, the, uh, the the Vega. And I've got to... Yep. I've got to... I got to see that. I haven't seen the Huey and the Viet, some of the Vietnam stuff either, but, uh, so yeah, I will definitely be coming your way, uh, sometime here in the fall for sure. 
Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you, and we'll make sure that we uh, have nothing but good weather for you, and we'll roll something out and make some noise. <laughs> well, making noise in good weather is always fun. So, uh, all right. Yeah. That's well, Kelly thanks Mayhar. for including I... me, and yeah, and uh, let me make sure to tell you that. We'd love to have you, and we'll fill in anytime you need a spot. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Like I said in the beginning, you guys have been real good to us, and uh, you got a great crew over there. Uh, you know, even even that Frank guy, you know, is a nice yep. fella. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's the one leading the show on Saturdays. So if you show up on a Saturday and we're not there, you are well taken care of. There you go. Frank. There you go. Yeah, love, love me some Frankie for sure. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, Kelly, and uh, we will see you at the airport someday. Folks, that's all for us now uh, here on Texas Warbird Report on warbirdradio.com. If you like what you heard, check us out. Check out the other shows that we've got there. Check us out on some of the podcast uh, apps uh, on your phone or in your car or wherever you are on the computer. And go to War- Texas Warbird Report on uh, warbirdradio.com and uh, support us there. We really appreciate you listening. That's all for now. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.